Kia from your Every Nation Southside family here in Papatoitoi, Auckland. You are now listening to a podcast from our church service and we pray that you will be blessed by it. For more information, please visit our Facebook page or feel free to contact our church office. Uh, for those of you who weren't here last week, we're actually, we actually started a, a series last week called The Great Exchange. And this series is on the topic of soteriology. Can you all say that? Soteriology. Yeah. And so soteriology is actually a fancy word, uh, which means the study of salvation or the doctrine, the study of the doctrine of salvation, um, especially as it is impacted and affected by Jesus Christ. Okay. And so a lot of people think that the gospel, it just kind of represents the first part of your Christian life, you know, just that step A that you take when you enter into Christianity. Um, there's a famous quote that always makes me laugh by Martin Luther. And um, it goes like this. The truth of the gospel is the principal article of all Christian doctrine. In other words, it's the most important thing. Most necessary is it that we know this article well. Teach it to others and beat it into their heads continually. That's what he said. Beat it into the, all those hundreds of years ago, he was, maybe he was like one who invented White Sunday, you know. Do it properly. Yeah, anyway. Anyway, so, but the truth is that the gospel doesn't just represent that first step A of coming into a relationship with Jesus. It actually is really steps A all the way to Z of our Christian life. It's the whole thing. Everything that we do is based on the gospel. And so when we get saved, we celebrate salvation as a, you know, as the free gift that it is. We celebrate the fact that our sins are forgiven. We are restored into a right relationship with God. We're now no longer going to hell. But, you know, many people don't actually understand that salvation doesn't end there. The Bible says that we are called to grow up in our salvation. And we are to walk this salvation out, to work it out in fear and trembling. It's not just a one-time legal transaction. It's an ongoing healing process uh, involving lots of repentance, lots of forgiveness, lots of healing. Um, and that's a process that we call sanctification, which is part of that salvation process. And so last week, so sorry, our heart for this series, so the goal of this series that um, us as a leadership have for our church is that for all of us to have a real deeper understanding of what it means to be saved. Okay, so last week, Fitaloa, she did a great job. She kicked off the series for us, talking about God's salvation plan. You know, and I really loved that word last week. You know, we laughed, we cried, you know, and she did it all wearing heels. <laughs> Want to be like that when I grow up. Anyway, so this week is a continuation of that same theme. And so this week's sermon is, is entitled, From Guilty to Forgiven. And the scripture is in Colossians 1, and I'll read you 20 to 24 goes like this for God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ 
And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Verse 22, yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. And so, you know, because of what God, what Jesus did for me, when God looks at me, because I have put my faith in Christ, the Bible says that I am righteous in his sight, holy and blameless even, without a single fault. That to me is crazy. Because without Jesus, I know that I am far, far, far from perfect. If Ulu was here, he would say, far, far, far from perfect. I am far from blameless. I make mistakes all the time. I make wrong choices, stupid choices. Sometimes I lose control and sin with the things that I say. And a lot of us, we, a lot of us struggle to believe that we are holy and blameless in God's sight because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. But verse 23 says, but you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance that you received when you heard the good news. Don't drift away from the assurance when you heard the good news. We can be sure of our salvation. You know, when you responded to this gospel, if you have, and you put your faith in Jesus, you are saved. He has brought you into, into his presence. He is yours and you are his. And he will never leave you or forsake you. So every time that I sin, I don't have to keep praying the sinner's prayer. I don't have to keep recommitting my life to Christ. And Fee mentioned last week that when sin was separating us from the Father, God had a plan. He had a plan to save us. He didn't send a messenger. He didn't send a servant. He didn't even send an angel. Those guys are pretty awesome, right? He sent his own son. He came and took care of the problem himself, the sin problem. And so you, so you know what? Our salvation... When we put our faith in Christ, our salvation is not fragile. It's not something that's easily broken. You know, um, Otto talked about a gift. Our salvation is a gift. We sang about it. We sang that, um, that verse from Scripture that salvation belongs to our God. And, you know, it's kind of like, you know, I, some, you know, some people don't have that much money. You know, I like to buy my clothes from Kmart and the warehouse, you know. And Ulu's like rolling his eyes. And I'm like, but I like it. And he goes, but you've got it in every color. That same, same cardigan. You know, but I, I like, you know, I don't like spending much money on things. If you know, same here, $90 one there. I would rather pay $5, you know. 
someone who doesn't have much money may not own fancy things, but someone who is really, really rich can own really, really high, top quality things, right? And so, you know, it would be nice to get a gift from a multi-millionaire, you know, someone who maybe owns all of the diamonds and all of the gold and all of the silver, all of the cattle on a thousand hills. If someone like that was to give you a gift and that person was madly, deeply crazy in love with you, you know that that gift wouldn't be cheap, right? You know that that gift wouldn't probably break easily or rip easily like my $5 cardigans from Kmart. The gifts that our God gives us are powerful and potent. Our salvation is powerful and potent. What he did on the cross and the resurrection is so powerful that nothing can muck it up. Nothing can come and mess it up. You don't even have to top it up with good deeds just in case you've sinned. Your salvation did not get canceled. The Bible says to continue to believe in this truth and stand firm in it. He even gives us a plan of what to do if we do sin. And like I said, I sin still, you know, hopefully less and less than I used to before I was, you know, growing in Christ, getting sanctified every day. But I still do mess up, still do sin. But God even gives us a plan then. 1 John 1.9 says, if you confess your sins, if we confess our sins, it's not, you know, um, if on the odd occasion you might, you know, commit a sin. It's not like that. He goes, yeah, well, you know, when you sin, just confess it because he knows we're going to sin. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What do we do to what do we do when we sin? We just go back to him. We go back to him, not because he left. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us, right? But sometimes we, we leave. We turn away. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so that word confess, he wants us to confess. That's um, a Greek word, homologeo. Just sounds wrong, but I don't know. Can everyone say it? Homo logeo. There, now we all have said it. Ha <laughs> ha. And it means to speak the same thing or to agree. Okay? And so this is what God is telling us to do when you sin, right? He says to confess, and that Greek word there, to speak the same thing or to agree. And so when you sin, confess. Like, speak the same thing. You know, God calls it sin, so let's just call it sin. Let's just call it what God calls it. You know, I hear so many people say, oh, I stumbled. You know, I, I'm just, you know, struggling with this habit, you know. I had a weak moment, you know. God calls it sin, so let's just call it sin. You know, I remember a few weeks ago when Lottie preached, she talked about when David sinned with Bathsheba. Now, I won't go and tell you the whole story again, but he sinned. And then Nathan came along and confronted the king, King David, saying, um, you did this. 
And so, you know, he could have made so many excuses. He could have said, oh, but you know, this and that. But his response to his sin was, I believe, the warrior way to respond to sin. He didn't step back and shrink back and, you know, distance himself like some of us do sometimes when we feel stink about stuff that we did. You know, it's like, oh, where's so-and-so? Oh, they're not here today, you know. When Nathan confronted him and said, look, you, you did this, he, he fell on his knees before God and he said, I have sinned. And he repented, you know. We've been talking a lot about that warrior spirit. And, you know, a warrior is not perfect, but they take ownership when they have sinned. They take a step forward towards God. The Bible says confess. Call it what God calls it. Calls it sin. But also say the same thing that God says about us. Yes, that was sin. But what does the Bible say? about me when I confess my sin it says that he forgives me and he cleanses me of all unrighteousness and as Colossians 1 says I am holy and blameless without a single fault not because we did anything right not because I did anything right because I did nothing but he has done it all Not by my works. Because have I done enough? Nope. Have you done enough? Not even close. Am I in my own strength and my own accomplishments good enough? No. But has Jesus done enough? Yes. You know, we talk about the many powerful things that happened when Jesus was on the cross. You know, there were so many amazing things that he did for us. You know, we talk about how he sacrificed. There was a sacrifice that happened on the cross. There was the substitution in that it was supposed to be us that was being punished for the sin, but he substituted himself instead of us. But there are three quick points that I want to talk about um, with regards to things that Jesus did for us on the cross. You know, I don't even know that one lifetime is enough for us to realize or recognize everything that Jesus did for us on that cross that day. But I'd like to just uh, talk about three of them. And the first one, the first thing that Jesus did on the cross was um, provision. And I want to read this little excerpt from um, John 19, verses 26 to 27. And so at this time, Jesus was hanging on the cross um, he had actually been hanging on the cross for quite a few hours, and he was quite close to the end. And so he was quite breathless, um, struggling to breathe after have, having been hung there for hours. And so this is what he said. Uh, verse 26 says, When Jesus saw his mother there, so his mother was there with just a handful of other people, Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom Jesus loved. Who's that? John, yes. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved, who is John, standing nearby, he said to her, to his mum, he said, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that, that time on, 
the disciple took her into his home. You know, I always kind of wondered about that. You know, um, he, he was struggling for breath, but he made an effort to say that. Mm. And, you know, John, as we know, was, was Jesus' closest friend. You know, when we read about Jesus' life on earth, you know, we read about him. He had the multitudes. There were the thousands and thousands of people that followed him. Um, among that multitude, those thousands, he had 70 people, 70 men that he, you know, trained up um, and sent out. And within that 70, he had the 12 disciples um, that he basically spent every day with. And then within that 12 disciples, there were three in particular that he was very, very close to. They were James, Peter, and John. And within those three, there's only one that is always referred to in John as the disciple whom Jesus loved, and that was John. And so for over three years, Jesus had spent every day with John. He had trained him and raised him and shown him how to um, walk this life, how to be a, a leader and a disciple maker. And also on Mary's side of things, you know, we haven't actually read about Joseph, Mary's husband, the man who raised Jesus, um, as I guess in modern day terms, a stepfather. Um, and so scholars believe that he had died um, for like quite a while before this before he was crucified. And so he hasn't even been mentioned since um, Jesus was 12 years old. So I guess we can safely safely estimate that he has passed away. Um, but Joseph had trained Jesus to be a carpenter. And so that was his trade before he went into ministry. That was how he made money. That was how he provided for his mum. Because in those days, the custom was... Uh, the firstborn son needs to take care of the mother if the father passes away. And I guess we can see that a lot in our culture as well. Um, sometimes when the father is still alive, you know, the children still have to um, look after the parents. And so I guess a lot of us here can recognize that kind of value. But in those days, it was, it was because they took the commandments very seriously, the fifth commandment to honor your father and your mother, so it was actually Jesus' job to provide for his mother. He was her provider, her breadwinner. Um, you know, in our family, uh, you know, Ulu, he travels a lot. Uh, and so ever since our kids were little, I've got two boys, um, Ulu's always kind of tried to, to train them up so that when he's gone, he's like, you know, you guys have to go lock the house, you know, take out the rubbish, go, I don't want mom going out in the dark, I want you guys to go make sure you look after mom, you know, and so now that my eldest son, Maya, he's actually, he reckons he's taller than me, but I just think he needs a haircut, but you know, he's like kind of a little bit grown up now, and so he's, you know, really starting to take these responsibilities quite seriously, and um, so the other day, the three of us were driving, and we were driving through Odahu, and we saw one of those nappy stores. You know how there's those um, stores where they just sell nappies, and they've got some, like, huge packets of, like, a million nappies in one packet for, like, $2 or something, you know? And so they had all these signs in the window saying, you know, this kind of nappy, this much, this kind. And then Joey goes, oh, my gosh, Mum!" And I, I like, 
stopped the, you know, I was like, got a fright. And I said, what's wrong? And he goes, adult diapers? He freaked out. He didn't know there was such a thing. And I'm, and I said, oh, yeah. Mom, are there adults that need to wear diapers? <laughs> and then I said, yeah, you know, like, in, sp- in special uh, circumstances, you know, whether you're very, very sick or some people who are, you know, um, very old and they aren't able to, uh, you know, go to the bathroom on their own. So, you know, trying, it was like an educational moment. And I was like, yes, you know. And then, without thinking, I said, but, you know, I really hope I'm dead before I need to, you know, wear adult diapers and have somebody change me. And then Maya, in the back seat, he goes, oh, no offense, Mum, but I hope you're dead, too. Because, <laughs> oh. <laughs> and I was like, oh, you know what, just for that. I'm going to pray that I live a very long time. (laughs) Anyway, you know, thinking about Mary, you know, looking at her son hanging on that cross, you know, uh, I have nothing but respect for Mary, you know, and just the way that she carried this amazing calling that was on her life. Um, But, you know, surely... Somewhere, you know, I'm sure she was heartbroken. I'm sure she was confused, you know. The angel didn't say anything about this when he came and said, you were going to have a son. You were going to do this. He's gonna, you're going to call him Jesus. He's going to be the king. He's going to do this. He's going to do that, you know. The angel didn't quite mention any of this when he visited her and told her that she was going to be the mother of Jesus. And so, you know, I'm sure she was confused. I'm sure she was heartbroken. I'm sure she was just devastated watching Jesus suffer on the cross. But, you know, I'm sure that somewhere in the back, back, back of her mind, maybe she wouldn't have even mentioned it. Maybe there was the thought of, man, what am I going to eat tomorrow? Where am I going to sleep now? You know. Back then, there was no benefit for people who were in tough circumstances financially. There was no job opportunities for women they had to rely on either their husbands their fathers or their sons she couldn't you know like today she couldn't just go out and do a course you know get a certificate and go and start a new career there were no opportunities like that in those days so you know besides that incredible uh, grief that she was feeling she was looking at her son not just her son dying on the cross, but maybe her hopes and dreams were dying on the cross before her very eyes. Maybe she was thinking, man, now what? Maybe some of us feel like that sometimes, you know? Maybe we think that, oh, it was supposed to be like this, but my life has turned out like this, you know? Maybe some of us are feeling confused, devastated. But Jesus and all that he was going through and all of the suffering that he was enduring at that time, he had so much love and compassion for his mom. And he said to her, well, he says, woman. I would not say that to my mom. I wouldn't suggest that any of you say that to your mom either. But he said, you know, basically, 
don't worry. I've got something prepared for you. I've had it planned the whole time. Isaiah 65, 24 says, Before you call, I will answer. Jesus already had a plan for Mary. And the name John, um, by the way, actually means Jehovah is a gracious giver. And so not only was she being given a son, someone who would take her home, take care of her, but it was someone that Jesus himself had prepared for three years. You might think, like, you know, you may think of yourself as in a similar position to Mary in that you don't know what's next. Maybe things in your life have taken an unexpected turn. But Jesus is saying to us today, don't worry. I have got it all planned. I always had it planned. You don't have to worry. I've been preparing your blessing, your provision, and your future. Don't panic. And I'm sure John was probably surprised too, you know. Um, the second point that I want to talk about is restoration happened on the cross. So provision and restoration. And, you know, Jesus, while he was on the cross, he provided for Mary, but he also restored John. You know, when Jesus was arrested, it says in Matthew 26, when Jesus was arrested and all of those soldiers came and they were in the garden, you remember that, that part? They were all in the garden praying and then the soldiers came and arrested Jesus and took him away and it was all very... Um, serious and scary and dramatic and you know all of these disciples the bible says that they all ran away every single one of them ran away even john another version says they deserted him in other words they ditched him that same day that john was at the cross you know his best friend they'd been through so much together seen so much together you know, the adventures, the miracles, the lives changed. You know, seeing Jesus calming the stormy seas, you know, going surfing with no surfboard, you know, the free fish burgers that Jesus was giving out, you know, those amazing miracles. And then those, you know, quiet, intimate meals together, just sharing life together, laughing together. You know, I always think about... Um, you know, Ulu and his friends when we were growing up. And I always used to hear them, you know, his friends from St. Paul's College. And they used to always say things to each other like, oh, yeah, Uso, man, I got your back. You know, and they'd always say, oh, BFL. And I'd be like, what's BFL? Oh, Brothers for Life. And I'm like, you know, I'm sure because they spend every day together, right? They were so close. I'm sure that Jesus' disciples said that kind of stuff together. You know, I got your back. Yeah, anyone want to mess with you? They got to come through me. You know, that kind of talk. But you know, when push came to shove, when it really counted, Jesus was being arrested for something that he did not do. They all ran away and left Jesus alone, including John. You know, we all need a friend during hard times, you know, it makes all the difference when we have even just one person cheering us on or comforting us or, you know, 
um, believing in us. But John left Jesus when he needed him. You know, um, it, it can mean, when, when your life you feel like is falling apart, it can mean so much to have someone there next to you. Um, like maybe a few weeks ago uh, at school, so um, one of my students had gone to the office and used the phone and Andrew, who works in the office of our school, helped her use the phone and um, I was in my class teaching and then all of a sudden uh, Andrew knocks on the door and I was like, oh, um, are you okay? And he said, uh, one of my students had, you know, finished using the phone and she was like really crying and really, you know, just devastated about something. And he goes, oh, can I leave her with you? Because uh, I've got to get back to the office. And I was like, oh, sure, sure. And so I left my class and I went and I found her. She was in the bathroom. Um, one of my young students, she was about maybe 13 or 14 years old. And she was crying about something, you know. <gasps> Um, I went up to her and I said, hey, what's wrong? What happened? Tell me, you know, and she could hardly speak. She was so, you know, so upset. And um, so I said, okay, okay, just tell me what happened. How can I help you? And so she said um, that her dad had got attacked by a dog. And I was like, oh, my gosh, do you need to go to the hospital? Do you, uh, where is he? Is he, um, is he okay? I can, I can organize getting you, I, we can take you to the hospital so you can meet your mom, blah, blah, blah. It was her mom that she had spoken to on the phone. And what, what can I do? How can I help you? Uh, is your dad okay? Oh, I said, yeah. And, and then she goes, he's dead. And then I just couldn't believe my ears. I was just thinking, this is horrible. You know, what? What? You know, I think I screamed out, What? And then I just hugged her and she was crying and then I started crying too. <laughs> and I was like, you know, but I try not to cry in front of people because I'm trying to maintain this, you know, tough girl image. And um, I was crying too and I was just hugging her. We're just standing there and I was in my head. I was thinking a million thoughts at the same time. I was thinking, oh my gosh, how am I going to walk this girl through this? You know, I remember what it was like when I lost my dad and blah, 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 blah. And so my mind is just going like this. And then I was like, uh, where is your mum right now? Um, and she said, she's taking him to get cremated. And then I started to get a little bit confused because shouldn't there be police involved? Should it there, you know, she's already thinking about getting him cremated and she's driving there right now. And I said, what? And she goes, no, I don't want to see him. I just want it sorted before I go home. And then I started to get like, I started to ask some more questions, and um, I thought, you know, I am here for this girl. I am going to comfort her. You know, everybody needs to have someone by their side when they're going through hard times, right? And then I started to realize, she goes, well, you know, it can't have been helped. The neighbor's dog is so vicious, and I was like, oh, this is horrible. And then she said, you know, and my cat is just so friendly. And I was like, why are we suddenly talking about your cat? And everybody in this room knows how I feel about animals, right? 
And so, you know, I went from a thousand cares to, wait, what? My class is waiting for me. (laughs) And then I realized she and her, you know, the whole drama of it all had said my cat got attacked by a dog. And here I am with like tears everywhere. And I'm like, (sighs) and then I realized that her cat had died, not her dad. Her dad was fine. He was at work. And and then I was like, oh, when I realized, and she started saying, you know, he was such a friendly cat, but, you know, it's best that he just goes and gets cremated, and then that will, be, you know, I'll be okay. I'll be, thank you, miss. You're so caring. I didn't know that you loved animals too. <laughs> and then I was like, you're right. Yeah, okay. You're going to go back to class now? Oh, yeah, see ya. I'll, I'll see you later. And then I went back to class and I was texting Andrew, oh, my gosh. <laughs> and then Andrew just texted me back, ha, 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 You cried for a cat. But anyway, everyone needs a friend when you're going through hard times, okay? But, you know, thinking about Jesus, you know, on a more serious note, John left Jesus when he really needed him. You know, and Jesus was taken and he was beaten and he was tortured, whipped until he was nearly dead. And there was not one friendly face. He was completely alone. But, you know, unlike Judas, who chose a different route, John knew that he had messed up. And he goes, I've got to get back to the cross. I've got to go back to Jesus. What should we do when we make huge mistakes, when we sin, when we give in to temptation? We need to run back to the cross. What should I do when I let fear and doubt or temptation get the best of me? Go back to the cross. Go back to Jesus. Where else is there to go? There's nowhere So John came back to Jesus, and even though he had just ditched him and left him for the most horrible experience to endure that all alone, John didn't let the guilt or shame stop him from coming back. And when he came back, Jesus gave him one of the most important responsibilities. Even though you mucked up, even though you messed up and, and gave in, to fear and didn't have my back, I still believe in you. And I I really feel like God wants us to get that in our spirits today. When we muck up, Jesus still believes in us. We need to get over ourselves and go back to the cross. 2 Timothy Timothy 2.13 says, even when we are unfaithful, and we are unfaithful a lot, He is still faithful. When John came back to the cross, not only was he forgiven, but he was restored. Jesus still had an amazing plan for him. And not only did he just end up being the caregiver of Jesus' mother, but he went on to write several of the books of the Bible. You know, some of the most well-known scriptures quoting Jesus, like, for God so loved the world, that auto 
I used this morning. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That was written down by John. That was recorded by him. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Such life-giving words that help us today, thousands of years later. Life-giving words, but God used John to write them down. And he went on to be the longest living disciple, apostle. There are even accounts that say that, you know, um, they tried to boil him in oil to execute him publicly. But he went in and he came out unscathed. How amazing is that? You know, because John humbled himself and ran back to the cross. The Lord restored him and he went on to do greater things than John could ever have imagined. Jesus knew that John had abandoned him, but he restored him at the cross. And so I'd just like to close with this last point. The third thing on the cross, abandonment and adoption. Did you ever notice that in the Bible when Jesus was on earth, every time he addressed God, every time he prayed, he always said, Father. He always called God, Father, Father, he didn't call him by his name, Yahweh, Jehovah. He didn't call him God in the Bible. But the fact that he came and he called the Lord Father would have blown everyone's mind. Because never before had anyone called God Father. You know, that was not a concept that they had heard of, that they had heard of. You know, um, my dad like probably most of you guys, I never called him by name, you know. To everyone else, he was maliumai, but to me, he was dad, you know. And not just anyone got to call him dad. There was, well, actually, there was a bunch of us because he was a dad to so many, but not just anyone got to call him dad, just those who were close to him. And so when Jesus came, he brought a whole new world of relationship, whole new level of relationship with God that was never possible before. Jesus called God Father all the time. But there was only one time that Jesus didn't call God Father, and that was when he was hanging on the cross. You know, one of the other things that Jesus said when he was on the cross was when he said, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why have you forsaken me? And anyone who knows, you know, Jesus was God. Jesus knew everything. You know, when you know everything, you don't have to ask questions because you already know everything, right? And so in the Bible, whenever you hear God asking a question, or Jesus asking a question, it's not because he wants to find out some information. It's because he wants to know if we know the answer to the question that he's asking. And so when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? He knew why God had abandoned him. But I believe he asked it so that we could realize why God abandoned him. Jesus was abandoned by his father so that you and I could be adopted by his father.
Jesus became an orphan so that the fatherless could come to the Father. Jesus did not call him Father that time so that you and I, or anyone who wants to trust in him for salvation, could have that privilege of calling God Father. He went through an agonizing separation from the Father. He had never experienced that before. He had never experienced being separate from God before. And he was around since eternity, like all so that you and I could be brought near. But yet we tend to treat this relationship so casually. Do we even pr appreciate the fact that we get to call God our Father? The only reason that I'm able to start my prayers with Father is because Jesus endured a time when he could not. Romans 8.15. And I'm closing now. Romans 8.15. So you who have not, so you have received not a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we call him Abba, Father. The one instance where Jesus did not call God Father means that I can call God Father for eternity. And that is the great exchange. Let's bow our heads.